Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Friends, welcome. Father Frank Pavone here coming to you live uh, on this, uh, what is it, Wednesday night here, uh, the 8th of uh, June. Good to be with you and uh, thank you for coming on to Praying for America nice healthy audience as we have had uh, and we want to talk to you tonight about what's going on with um well first of all I want to take a lot of questions from you and secondly uh you know some developments with uh, the uh, threats of violence from the radical uh unhinged left against supreme court justices you may have seen some of that news today and uh I want to make some comments I have some paperwork here uh, about that and, uh, you know, we'll just pray over the news. We, only, we don't only comment on the news. We pray over it because uh, we are, indeed, people of faith who know the power of prayer and the need of prayer for America as all these news stories unfold. So let me know where you're from. Let me know that you're here. Let me know what prayer intentions you have, because as we pray for America... We all pray for one another. Let us know how we can pray for you. Let's begin with the scriptures. And I want to go to 1 Corinthians here in chapter 12, uh, starting with uh, verse number 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. To each individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some common benefit. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the manifestation of the Spirit as that Spirit fills each one of us. We thank you for the manifestation of the Spirit. In the wisdom of our founding fathers, in the greatness of the system of government that they set up, in the wisdom of the separation of powers and and then the separation from the federal and the state governments. And, and we're, Lord, we thank you for the flexibility that has been placed into our system of government so that we can be the United States, so that states can be very, very different in their approach to policy and yet united under one constitution, and that states can be very large or very small, and yet still, because of the structure of the Electoral College and the Senate, still not lose their voice in creating policy for the whole nation or in electing a president for the whole nation. We thank you, Lord, for the wisdom of all of this. We thank you that this government is structured in such a way that fends off tyranny. We thank you, Lord, that you tried our founding fathers through crucibles of suffering and that in their Declaration of Independence, our Declaration of Independence, they, they, they specified the complaints of tyranny against which they were declaring their independence. Because, Lord, it is a record for the ages. There is a reason, Father, why, uh, thanks to your Spirit guiding our founders, we are the only nation today, the only nation at this point in time, still operating under its original founding documents. We thank you for that, Lord, because it is a testimony that your hand is indeed on this exceptional nation. Lord, grant that our leaders and our fellow citizens may never forget 
the greatness of this nation and her history, the wisdom of her founding documents and her system of government, and that of being aware of that greatness, we may be ever more motivated to take part in exercising our citizenship faithfully. We pray in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Different gifts, same spirit. That pertains to elections, friends. We just had primaries yesterday in several states, as you know, including California, New Jersey, South Dakota, Montana, uh, several others. Uh, big primary day. And uh, President Trump's uh, record, of course, of, of success with his endorsements continues. Enthusiastic uh, turnout among our uh, Republican uh, citizens continues. And we're going to talk in more detail uh, uh, in one of the coming evenings with our political outreach associate here at Priest for Life about some of the dynamics that we saw yesterday in the primaries. So give me your um, questions. Let's see what uh, what we have. Um, okay, so Mike is mentioning, and Mike, this is something that I was going to comment on here. Kavanaugh threatened and two pro-life places uh, attacked. And then Cynthia is saying Schumer said a terroristic threat against a Supreme Court judge, he needs to be impeached or recalled. That's an insurrection. So Mike and Cynthia, we are exactly on the same page, and I'm sure this is in the minds of a lot of our other viewers right now, because that's exactly um, what I have here in my notes to talk with you all about. Um, the Well, first of all, one other note about the primaries. The Pennsylvania Senate uh, primary, as you know, has been in a recount so it's always nice to bring closure to these things. So today the recount officially uh, concluded and Dr. Oz uh, pulled off the victory officially. We know that McCormick conceded to him a few days ago because he saw that he wasn't making up enough votes that to close the gap. Uh, Dr. Oz ended up ahead uh, by 951 votes. A lesson, by the way, about close elections, right? 951 is not a lot. Uh, but um, of course, many races even more, even even more of a close uh, margin than that. Uh, victory comes about. This is uh, 951 out of more than 1.3 million votes. It's a lesson. Um, but you know, it's also a lesson about recounts. Very rarely do recounts actually change the outcome. A candidate may pick up some votes here or there, but uh, very rarely do recounts actually change the uh, the outcome. Uh, okay, so this this business about threats against the Supreme Court. So it was the June Medical Services uh, Supreme Court case. Now that was the the more uh, before the Dobbs case that's currently about to be uh, decided. The decision is about to be handed down from the Supreme Court. The previous abortion decision was called June Medical versus Russo. It was about uh, abortion facility regulations was coming out of the state of Louisiana. So I was there in front of the Supreme Court. This was in 2020. And I was there in front of the court on the day of the oral uh, arguments. And we had competing rallies. I was helping to lead a pro-life rally. Uh, and we were, again, right there in front of the court, in front of the steps. And right, literally right next to me, I mean, I could practically reach out and uh, touch the the barricade that was 
between our group and theirs was the big pro-abortion rally. And they had, oh my goodness, they had, I remember seeing Rashida Tlaib come up to speak and Schumer, Schumer was there. And I heard him like only a few yards away from me say the words that now in these days, because of the threats against uh, Justice Kavanaugh and others has have been replayed on various broadcasts. He looks at the court, he points to the court, and he says, and I tell you, Gorsuch, and I tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. And he said some other words together with that as well. Is that the way for a senator or anybody to address sitting Supreme Court justices. This is obviously language that is uh, threatening and inappropriate. And now, of course, you know, bring you back to some history. In the mid to late 1990s, there were some incidents of violence against abortionists. And we in the pro-life leadership, I became a national pro-life leader in 1993. So for the last almost 30 years now, I've been heading up this Priests for Life group, one of the largest pro-life groups. And when there was this these acts of violence, you know, we, we in the leadership unanimously and immediately condemned the violence when some uh, abortionists were, um, were shot. As a matter of fact, I, uh, through my organization early on, uh, offered uh, cash rewards to people who uh, would uh, be able to come up with information that led to finding and convicting the perpetrators of this violence. So we were very serious and are very serious about, about uh, nonviolence and condemning acts of violence, no matter what a person's ideology is. And yet we were criticized by the pro-abortion groups. We weren't praised. None of us, none of us in the pro-life leadership were praised for standing up against this, this violence. We were not praised at all. We were held responsible for the violence that was done. Why? The rhetoric, the language, the language. What language? Well, you're killing human beings. When you're doing abortion, when you're promoting abortion, this is the killing of human beings. Brothers and sisters, that's not threatening language. That's simply the fact. It's a fact, as a matter of fact, that abortionists themselves admit. I knew Ron Fitzsimmons. I know I should say Ron Fitzsimmons, but I knew him when he had the role of being the executive director of the National Coalition of Abortion Providers a trade organization of abortionists. Ron admitted publicly, we're talking about the ending of a human life. More and more of these abortionists and their supporters admit, because scientifically, medically, you have to admit that that's exactly what an abortion is. But the other side says to us, if you keep calling it killing, well, then somebody is going to get angry enough to kill the abortionists. 
And so therefore what? We don't justify any kind of violence. Any kind of violence. That includes violence against that child in the womb. Are we therefore supposed to shut our mouths about the fact that it's killing because somebody somewhere will get the idea that they should do violence to solve the problem? And I pointed out in those early years when some of these incidents took place back in 1994, I said, look, the idea that you can kill a person to solve a problem is a pro-choice idea, not a pro-life idea. Because think about what the choice is. The choice is to kill a human being. So you're deciding to kill a human being to solve a problem. So here I have a affidavit in support of a criminal complaint. And this was in regard to what happened in the wee hours this morning against Justice Kavanaugh. I'll read some of it for you. But you tell me whether this isn't somebody deciding to end a life to solve a problem. And you tell me whether that isn't the same way of thinking. I'm going to kill an innocent person to solve a problem. Now, key word here, an innocent person. We're not talking about self-defense or military combat when you're in the midst of a situation where you are physically being attacked. That is a separate scenario. We're talking here about the killing of an innocent person in order to solve a problem. So this is an affidavit by a special agent of the FBI. And he describes what happened this morning, June 8th. On June 8th, 2022, at approximately 1.05 a.m., two United States deputy marshals saw an individual dressed in black clothing and carrying a backpack and a suitcase get out of a taxi cab that had stopped in front of the Montgomery County, Maryland residence of a current justice of the United States Supreme Court, Justice Kavanaugh. The individual looked at the two deputy U.S. marshals who were standing next to their parked vehicle and then turned to walk down the street. Shortly thereafter, Montgomery County Emergency Communications Center fielded a call from an individual who identified himself as Nicholas John Orosky. Orosky informed the call taker that he was having suicidal thoughts and had a firearm in his suitcase. Orosky also told the call taker he came from California to kill a specific United States Supreme Court justice. The Montgomery County Police Department officers were dispatched to the location near the Supreme Court Justice's residence, where they encountered Roski, who was still on the telephone. He was taken into custody without incident, and law enforcement officers seized the backpack and the suitcase. An inventory revealed a black tactical chest rig, a tactical knife, a Glock 17 pistol with two magazines and ammunition, pepper spray zip ties, a hammer, screwdriver, a number of other things. So there were burglary instruments uh, here, Roski told the detective that he was upset about the leak of a recent Supreme Court draft decision regarding the right to abortion, as well as the recent school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Roski indicated that he believed the justice that he intended to kill would side with Second Amendment decisions. Remember, we were talking about the Second Amendment case uh, just uh, last night, and I said, 
the left is 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 got a number of cases here that are going to go against them. That he believed he would side with the Second Amendment decisions that would loosen gun control laws. Roski stated that he began thinking about how to give his life a purpose. Isn't it sad to, that he didn't realize already that his life had a purpose? He started to think about how to give his life a purpose and decided that he would kill the Supreme Court justice. Roski indicated that he had purchased the Glock pistol and other items for the purpose of breaking into the residence and killing the justice as well as himself. Okay, this is sad. It's tragic. It's never justifiable. <clears throat> but I'm going to end a life to solve a problem. We've got to get that thinking out of our culture. I want to pray with you about that now. Notice what it is. Again, it's that erroneous way of thinking. I'm going to end a life to solve a problem. I'm going to end an innocent life to solve a problem. Where might somebody like this get that idea? If not in a culture where for 50 years now we have been calling it a constitutional right to end a life to solve a problem. To end the life of a person in the first nine months of their existence without denying that it is a person, without denying the humanity of the baby, many advocate in our nation to this day the violent idea that you can end the life of a baby to solve a problem. And then we wonder why some mothers will throw their babies in a dumpster. I'm going to end a life to solve a problem. It requires spiritual conversion and rejecting that idea altogether to start back on the road to a culture of life. So we were told that we were responsible for creating a climate of violence by our pro-life language. No. It's not the pro-life language that creates a culture of violence. It's the pro-choice language that creates a culture of violence. To the extent the language does this. Now, we have to be careful here. We're not advocating treading on the arena of free speech. We should be able to speak and to speak passionately about the issues of the day. So I always hold to the right uh, for you and me and all of us to say exactly what an abortion is. It is murder. It is killing. But uh, to the extent that people are going to start to play blame games with language, well, then you notice how it never happens to the other side the way it happens to us. I mean, there were, there were, uh, Headlines immediately and people, demonstrations were held against me and other pro-life leaders and uh, marshals were deployed. Uh, this uh, was under the, the first time under the Clinton administration. Federal marshals were deployed to all the abortion facilities around the country 
Well, in these recent days, some pro-life offices and some pro-life pregnancy centers were attacked. Did you hear anything from the Brandon administration about marshals being employed, uh, deployed to, to, to protect the pregnancy centers around the country? Has there been an outrage against uh, the, 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 those words that I heard Schumer live right practically next to me say that day in front of the Supreme Court? Not to the extent that there's a backlash against our side when something happens, not anywhere near that extent. Okay, well, let's look at some of the um, other questions or comments that are coming in. Okay, Um, let me see. uh, Let's see, what is Michael saying? I'm concerned about reaction from the political left after the Dobbs decision combined with what is going on in Ukraine could ignite World War III. There's a lot of uh, tension, obviously. There is a lot of anger. There's a lot of instability right now. And, uh, and, and, and we need to pray. Then we're going to pray. Take a couple of questions and then uh, pray about all this. Uh, you know, I think we can help. All of us can help. In terms of the reaction against uh, the Dobbs decision, presuming, as I think we should at this point, uh, presume that it is going to be uh, what we saw in that draft opinion from Justice Alito, it is going to be a a reversal of Roe and of Casey. But a reversal of Roe and of Casey, and this is why I've been advocating that we study the draft opinion by Justice Alito, and you can go back on my YouTube channel, for example, FR Frank Pavone, Uh, or on the special website, supremecourtvictory.com, you can go back and see the um, videos in which I analyze this Alito draft, uh, even though it's unofficial, even though it was leaked. Why is it important for us to, to, um, to study it? Because we have to counteract the false narrative of what this decision is about. I think you and I can help uh, to... um, at least to a certain extent, influence what the reaction is going to be when we explain to people that it's not the Supreme Court imposing a policy on the country that says no more abortion. It's about the Supreme Court saying we're not going to short-circuit the democratic lawmaking process by simply declaring abortion a constitutional right. No, we're going to let the legislatures hash it out with the input of the people, with the lobbying of the people, with the process of lawmaking, hearings and gathering evidence and testimony and amendments and votes and amendments again. And, you know, there's a process and it's a painstaking process. The people who are on the left that are going to get, as you said correctly, very, very angry at the outcome of this case are people who are not used to applying the legislative process to questions of abortion policy. They're not used to applying the legislative process to questions of abortion policy because the Supreme Court foreclosed that. They said, we're not going to let the lawmakers decide whether abortion is legal or not. We're going to declare it a constitutional right. Well, then therefore it has to be legal. And you're making it very hard for the state to put any limits on it if you declare it a constitutional right. You see the point? So in other words, they were handed legal abortion on a silver platter. They didn't have to lobby for it. 
They didn't have to lobby for it. They didn't have to go through the painstaking work of convincing and persuading lawmakers. Hey, maybe it's a good idea to allow the chopping off the heads of babies all throughout pregnancy. They didn't have to lobby and convince them and persuade them. They were handed this on a silver platter by the Supreme Court. So, of course, they're going to go ballistic if they if they see this is now being taken away. I'm not talking about the women who who would be getting the abortions. I'm not saying that they're going ballistic. They're not. Brothers and sisters, we have already seen just by state laws that just limit abortion or regulate it in some way that many of these women are choosing life, raising their babies, seeking the help that's out there, because many of these laws make them aware of that help. And it's not some kind of decision that they made that they're going to crawl over broken glass in order to fulfill it no matter what. That's not the kind of decision that abortion is. We've learned that over all these decades. It's a decision of ambivalence. It's a decision of despair. It's a decision that people are often looking for a way out because they know it's wrong. And the little barrier from the law is often all they need to reclaim the conscience that they have that's already telling them this is wrong. So it's not like it's come some kind of decision that they're going to go crazy if they can't get it. No, no, no. I'm talking about the radical fringe that is out there screaming at the top of their lungs that abortion is an absolute right. And they're the ones, by the way, making money off of it. These are the people that uh, are going to react violently. Um, And we have to look in America, we've got contentious issues. And one of the things that the court is saying in this um, draft opinion of Dobbs is no matter how contentious the issue is, and precisely because feelings run so high on both uh, sides and not just feelings, but real fundamental convictions That's why it's necessary for the people to work this out. It's difficult to work out. But the fact that it's such a difficult issue to work out is precisely an argument for taking it out of the hands of unelected judges. The fact that convictions and emotions uh, and and commitments run so deep, so strong, and so, so hard on both ends of the spectrum across America is precisely an argument for what the Dobbs draft decision says, namely, let's put this in the hands of the people. Unelected judges shouldn't be, you know, who do not have the tools, by the way, that legislatures have to gather evidence, to have the hearings, to have the arguments back and forth. You know, who can have more, who has more time to have more hearings? A legislative body, you can have days and days of debate. The Supreme Court, you get what, about an hour, maybe two, of oral arguments with two attorneys and nine justices. Instead, you can have all kinds of legislative, you put this in the hands of the legislatures, you've got legislative committees, you can have dozens of people coming in and testifying and giving evidence for days on end. The lawmakers, the legislative process gives us the tools. 
to deal with contentious, complex issues. The amendment process, the, the hearings, the, the fact that you can go back then and change a law. and I mean, what's easier, to change a law or to change a Supreme Court decision, right? I mean, you change a Supreme Court decision only in, in, in two ways. Either the Supreme Court accepts a case and then rules in such a way to change the decision, or you have to amend the Constitution, which is not an easy thing to do. All right, let's see uh, what else uh, we have. We're already uh, at the end of our time. This is amazing how how fast this um, this goes by. Let's see what Walter is saying. Do you think it would be a game changer if pro-choice people realize that non-elective surgery that ends the life of an unborn child is not what pro-life people are supporting? Um if pro-choice people realize that non-elective surgery that ends the life of an unborn child is not what pro-life people are supporting. Um, let me make sure I understand your question, Walter. Uh, if pro-choice people realize that non-elective surgery. Um, yes, okay. So uh, the uh, oh, I'm getting a message here from the... Um, yeah, we, you know, the, 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 some people talk about freedom of choice when it comes to abortion. And um, one of the thing, first things I say in answer to that slogan is it's contrary to fact. People don't get abortions because of freedom of choice. They get them because they feel they have no freedom and no choice. What leads people to the door of the abortion facility is not freedom, it's despair. Now, people talk about, um, you know, elective, uh, elective abortion. We have to take with a grain of salt how elective it actually is. You know, how much choice is involved in the matter versus how much pressure from um, those around them. Who's the decision maker here? The other side likes to say, oh, well, it's just the woman. It's just the woman. And, um, uh, no, that's not that's not that's that's contrary to fact. Uh, the decision maker in the abortion is very often somebody else who's putting pressure on them or the pressure of circumstances that leads them to conclude this is just not an option for me. I don't have any other uh, uh, any other option. I think what is a key game changer here is that people recognize the reality that not to take the abortion argument just as a theoretical, conceptual, philosophical, morality argument. You can go around in circles forever with that. But if we start with the concrete, practical reality of what is actually going on when somebody gets up in the morning and, and, and goes for an abortion appointment, I think that the uh, pro-choice people um, would be pretty astonished to uh, recognize how little choice is involved. And that's one of the things, of course, that we, we work on every day in the pro-life movement is providing the better choices. Well, friends, let's pray together. Thank you for all the, the prayer intentions, the comments, the questions. This time has flown by. Oh, my goodness. Lord, we thank you for the... Uh, we thank you for the moment that we're living in now so much 
to be concerned about, to pray about. Lord, we do pray for the safety of the Supreme Court justices. We pray for people who, Lord, are so angry and feel that there's no outlet for their anger that they would either threaten or resort to or attempt violence. Lord, we, we ask you, help these people to, to calm down, help these people to understand that we have, as we prayed at the outset of this, of this broadcast, a system of government that does allow us to have a voice, to have an influence, that does allow us to make change in a peaceful way. Enable your people to take advantage of those tools. Enable us, Lord, to work together to do exactly that. Lord, we pray for uh, furthermore for uh, all our fellow citizens as we continue uh, towards uh, the day of, of this decision coming out. Help them to understand what this is and what it isn't. And help them, Lord, to look towards the legislative process and to get to know their legislators both on the state and the federal level and to begin working with them to bring about the kind of change that is needed in public policy and to bring about the protection of life. Send your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray to you. Jesus, we pray to you. Send the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father and the Son. And open the minds and melt the hearts and unite the wills of your people that we may build a great America, that we may build a culture of life. We sum up our prayers and we include the prayer intentions of all our viewers as we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks, friends. Uh, be sure to connect with me on social media if you aren't already at FR Frank Pavone, uh, right, right Side Broadcasting at RSB Network. And join us again. I'll be with you again live tomorrow night, and we'll have a lot more to discuss. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.